Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1 with All Care Pharmacy. Need expert advice on your family's health? Speak to us today at All Care Pharmacy, Ireland's largest community pharmacy network. Okay, I'm joined now by uh, author, musician, podcaster, mental health activist, and I think still PhD student. Just about, yeah. Niall Breslin. Welcome, Brezzy. How are you? How's it going? Good. So we asked you to pick five songs for us that have meant something to you in your life. And I sometimes ask people at the start of this, if music is important to them, but music is obviously important to you. How important is it? Like, do you live and breathe music? Do you experience life and emotions through music? Kind of. Yes, I do. It's kind of weird when you do it for a living. It, it becomes different and you, you process it differently and you listen to music differently. But like, I always say sport is what I did and music is what I am. My mum's a music teacher. I grew up around it. But the only problem was my mum's a violin teacher. I don't know if you've ever heard people learning to play violin, but it is a single worst. <laughs> I'm familiar with it from yeah. cartoons, I believe. <laughs> she, she used to do it in the house. I'd be studying for me leaving certain you hear this. So it kind of, she nearly lost my love of music through listening to people learning how to play it. But no, I, I adore it. I, I, I would not know what to do with my life without it. It's hugely important to me. It's interesting you say though, when music is what you do for a living, does it kind of wreck it for you, like if you're not careful, yeah? It that does, you, yeah. You, you break it down and it's a... You don't yeah. want to become that guy who listens to something goes, well, if you did it that way, you know, that kind of... Yeah. People talk about when they're watching films. I'm not, I'm not like that with music. And the one thing I've learned about music was my brother told me when I was 14, he says, never be a musical snob. Like, you don't have to like everything, but respect it. And that's why, like, I started in a death metal band, but I loved ABBA. You know, uh, that's all I heard, Boney M, ABBA, you know, The Cure. I heard this in my house growing up, death metal... As I said, having a music teacher mother who was classically trained and hearing yeah. that. So I heard it all. Yeah. Death metal. Metal was big in regional towns, wasn't oh, it? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's just that when you're going into that kind of the kind of nuclear hormone bomb of puberty and you start hating your <laughs> yeah, parents, it yeah. makes perfect sense to get yeah. into death metal. And my first band was called Ramscar and it stood for Rise Almighty Satan Come and Rule. And we only called it that because the Christian brothers, like they just okay. couldn't deal with it. So they wouldn't let us play in any of the school balls. Yeah, were you any good? No, oh, they were very good. I was terrible. I wasn't good enough as a guitarist. I was too slow. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so your your first uh, song you've picked is kind of, I think this is music that was in the house when you were a kid, isn't it? Uh, this song kind of, I think this song was probably written by God uh, <laughs> as against the Beach Boys. Yeah. It's God Only Knows. Like it, yeah. It's extraordinary, isn't it? It's the greatest pop song ever written. I, I, I just, I, I always think about, imagine what it must have felt like as Brian Wilson was just building out the chords and he walks into the Wrecking Crew and he walks into the studio and goes, well, lads, I have this tune. Why don't you do it? Like, what, how do yeah. you react to that? The lyric, most beautiful lyric I've ever heard, the chord progressions, the melody, the, the, the interplay at the end with the vocals is that it gets me every time when they start the chord response stuff. And it's just, to me, the greatest ever pop song. Every, every detail of it, even the production. Yeah, of course, that's the Wrecking Crew as well, who yeah. were this extraordinary bunch of session musicians, but uh, who played on uh, half the records you know, but people just don't remember. They don't, and I mean, you, you know, Phil Spector would have used them, and they're a very special group of musicians. But the thing about the Wrecking Crew is, I think when you hear, it's not a perfect recording; it isn't perfectly played, and I think humans. Yeah are attracted to that type of things because we're flawed and humans aren't perfect. I think the music now, pop music has become very gridded and perfect and sterile in many ways. And I think there's a very good reason we're still listening to classics from the 60s because they're not perfect. This was like 50 people all in a room together vibing off each other. And when you watch Brian Wilson conducting them, it is one of the most incredible things ever because he's only a child. 
and he's walking in with the best musicians in the world yeah. he's telling them how to play like it's it's just like he maybe he is God I don't know Let's have a listen God Only Knows by the Beach Boys I may not always love you But long as there are stars above you You never need to doubt it I'll make you so sure about it God only knows what I'd be without you If you should ever leave me Well, life will still go on, believe me The world could show nothing to me So what good would living do me? God only knows what I'd be without you Okay, yeah, we'd happily have let that go on all day. But anyway, that is God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. That is uh, Brezzy's first music choice today. You played it at your sister's wedding, did you? Didn't uh, play it very well. Ambitious. Yeah, it's yeah. actually it's a lot more complex. To the That's the beauty of it. It sounds so simple, but actually it's quite complex, especially yeah. that start and then the little drum thing you talked about, I had to do it with my mouth. Didn't come across very well. Okay, were you one-man band? I was on my situation? own, yeah. I had okay, an acoustic yeah, guitar yeah. that was out of tune. It was about 40 degrees in Glasgow. when It was the hottest day I've ever been in Glasgow so my guitar wouldn't stay in tune so anyway it wasn't the best Okay now your next choice is release by Pearl Jam so this is bringing us to kind of early 90s when grunge kind of came was that an important was grunge important to you? I uh, that was my when I fell in love with music totally absolutely there was also a peer thing there as well everyone else liked it and that actually allowed me I I wasn't a social teenager I, I didn't really get on very well with groups of people and it allowed me kind of connect with my peers a little okay. bit you know it was yeah. really hugely important Were you unhappy kid? I was an anxious child I I, I moved to Israel I was 13 um, uh, yeah 13 and, and I kind of had a pretty rough time there and I came back and socially just didn't like leaving the house little things like that but with music and then sport ultimately but music was the thing that allowed me just have a conversation starter with people mm. that I didn't feel like I had anything in common with Yeah and um, so were you playing rugby at that point then? Not really, no. I, I, I didn't, I played a bit of Gaelic football. I played a bit of rugby. I wasn't particularly good at it and I didn't really enjoy it, to be honest with you, when I was younger. But when I was maybe 14 or 15, I started to fill out a little bit and I was, yeah. uh, I started to sprout and then I got thrown into a Gaelic pitch and everything changed. So is there, are the tribes quite defined in in, uh, in a town? Like if, like if you're Sporto, I presume most of them aren't into grunge music of despair and <laughs> nihilism. Actually, and stuff, the whole there? jock American jock thing that you often see in, in the kind of the TV shows. I don't think it was the same in regional towns. Like I, yeah. I, some of the best athletes I played with were guys who were mad into Pearl Jam, Nirvana, and I think it was just another side of there was a net, definitely an element of grunge music for teenagers that rebelled. I think. I think we're we're missing punk music and we're missing grunge music because there's so much to be angry about in the current world. Mm. And all our music is about breaking up with people rather than going, oh, we need that kind of, that anger. I miss that anger. That's why there I like is, There's not a huge alternative anymore, is there? Like, all the kids seem to be into the same thing and that's there it. There is Remember, an Remember, like, we rejected the, the mainstream and we were into other stuff, like, you know, and you didn't listen to Phil Collins or whatever. But now, 
all the kids seem to be into like you know if you're into Taylor Swift everyone's into Taylor Swift you're not I think I think in the 90s and in the early noughties that you would hear a lot of grunge and guitar music on the radio you'd hear yeah, it. You'd yeah, hear yeah, your yeah. indie music then became big so there was an accessibility element with it but where it, now you just won't really hear you won't hear garage music on a, on, on modern pop or on, on a radio show you just won't hear that and that's what that grunge music was it was garage music yeah. what it also was it made you believe that you could be that too you know, there feels like once with pop music, it feels it doesn't feel accessible for most people. But like I picked up a guitar when I was 12 years of age and I was like, I can play that. And then you could pull two or three lads and get them to buy a drum kit or get their parents. And there was you'd believed you were a rock star, as cheesy as that sounds. Yeah, there was a lot in that. Like So grunge did for for your generation what punk probably did for people. Whatever, yeah, exactly. Earlier. Yeah. yeah. Um, you picked a live version of this. So I presume that's because there is a very strong sense of a communal experience in this recording of it as well, like that moment. Yeah, and that vocalist. I come back to Eddie Vedder being, I think a lot of the grunge vocalists like Chris Cornell and Eddie Vedder were the greatest rock singers of all time. Eddie Vedder in particular, but this particular song is, I don't know what it is. It's the last song in 10, which was their biggest album and probably the, one of the greatest rock albums of all time and, and it was kind of thrown in at the end and now I realise why it was kind of I feel he was either letting go of the songs that he's created finally because they're very personal songs to him and he's letting them out and that's the release or maybe he's just releasing something but when you hear the live version it's 70,000 people releasing something in, in a moment okay. and it's very powerful all right. Yeah okay Pearl Jam release this is live from uh, Wrigley Field Okay, that's released by Pearl Jam and that's Niall Breslin's second choice today. Your next choice is another um, grunge song, Lithium by Nirvana. Why this? Uh, Nirvana, the reason I picked up a guitar. Uh, this riff, I'm, I was always into guitar riffs, but this particular riff was the one that jumped out for me. I heard it on a really terrible tape that was recorded from a radio station. I think there was a, I, I think it was John, I can't, John, somebody did a rock show on 2FM. I can't remember. Clark? John Clark, I can't, and I can't, John Clark, I, whoever it was, we used to record these tracks and Lithium was the one that got me. But actually, I picked the song more because of the impact of Kurt Cobain's death. Uh, when he died, uh, we were obsessed with them. He was a religion among Irish regional towns. And yeah. when he passed away, uh, I'd never really heard the word suicide really before. And I remember How walking... How were you? I was 14 yeah. and uh, I remember walking to town there was a picture of him on a local paper or uh, not a paper on a paper in the newsagent and he was holding a shotgun so we were completely shocked didn't know what to think and then I kind of got the nerve to ask one of the teachers like what you know, happened and the teacher called him a coward 
And that was my mental health education. And I never forgot it, uh, the impact. And I always think, imagine like a huge iconic pop star died now, the impact it would have on young people. And that was the impact I had on us. Mm. Uh, so I, I always remember, you know, I wrote a piece called Teen Spirit about that and the words I should have heard that day because we were so completely frustrated, terrified, didn't know how to process it, which was probably a big focus of my work around youth mental health education is like that if it, these are the words we should be saying to young people when things like that happen. But Nirvana were a religion in towns like Bullingar. They really were. And yeah. I dressed like them. I tried to sing like them. I tried to play guitar like them. And yeah, it's just still to this day, God, 30 years later, since he died, I still get kind of a weird, difficult feeling in the back of my neck when I talk about him. Yeah, yeah. Like I was much, I was well, a good bit older than you at that stage. But I think for our generation, rough, roughly speaking, our generation, it is that moment where you knew where you were and everything, isn't it? I remember that. I remember that day and that night very well. Okay, here's uh, Nirvana Lithium. I'm so happy. Cause today I found my friends here in my head I'm so ugly, that's okay Cause so are you, program is Sunday morning is every day for all I care I'm not scared, light my candles In our days cause I found God Okay, that's Nirvana Lithium and that's Brezzy's third music choice today. So uh, at what point is music and being in bands starting to become more important for you then? I actually, it got kind of literally beaten out of me then when I started becoming an athlete. I was told you can't be, you can't be in band, it's a waste of time. I remember one teacher used to take great kind of joy in telling me that's a waste of my time. He also taught Niall Horn, which was interesting. <laughs> uh, but... I, 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 I don't know. I think sport just became the thing. I kind of fell into sports and then I, I, it became very serious. I got scholarships and became a professional athlete. I was terrified to pretend I was a musician, but I was. I remember the day I decided to retire from rugby. I had a gig in the stables in Mullingar and I was playing against Munster in Musgrave Park and it broke my nose, big two black eyes. And I, I had to go on stage next morning and play the stables or next afternoon and play the stables in Mullingar. And I think people clapped because they were terrified of me, to be honest. With you. But uh, that was the moment I was like, I want to be a musician. And, and that was the blizzards at that, that point. That was the blizzards. And that was so like, you were straddling both for a yeah. while, like, yeah? I was playing both. I played, the blizzards had started when I was still playing with Leinster. And at that stage, I was I was, I was was signing out anyway. I, I'd lost love for, for rugby. Playing it, I, I adore watching it, but I lost love of playing it. And I wanted to be in a band. And I never had the nerve to be in a band. That was the problem. I, I, and I say that to, to parents as well. No one has a right to tell their child what they should or shouldn't be in terms of what they love. My yeah. parents always told me, do whatever you want. And okay. when I told my dad I was retiring from rugby, yeah. he goes, to do what? I said, to be in a band. He was like, oh, my God, I thought that was gone. I thought we lost that in your teenage years. But they were unbelievable. Like They supported me no matter what I did. When you said you never had the nerve to be in a band, what do you mean? I think it was just, it was just the idea, you can't be an athlete and a musician. And that, that was the labels and boxes. I hate, I never put people in boxes. 
And I used to put myself in a box that I, I could have to, I have to pick them. I can't, you know, and, and society, I think, can be a bit like that as well. It likes to put you in a box so it can make sense to you. Yeah. But I, I, I didn't, I didn't love sport the way I loved music. And also there's the thing, but there's the basic maths of, I had, I was making a living as a professional rugby player. I was making a good living as a professional rugby player. <laughs> I was moving into something where I ended up doing cover versions in Danny Burns and Mullingar for 60 quid a night. <laughs> like, like that's where I went moving yeah. back with my mother. Yeah. So there's the basic job side of it. But yeah, no, I, 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 I didn't want to be a rugby player and I wanted to be a musician and I still do. No, I don't want to be a rugby player anymore. Yeah. And come here, so when you went for it then with the with the blizzards and everything, I presume those kind of early days of being in a band and when things start happening for you and everything, it must be the best ever, is it? I tell you, the best story was when I rang my agent. I had a rugby agent called James Adams who now represents the entire South African team. And I tell him, I'm retiring from rugby. And he goes, oh, that's terrible. Why? I said, I'm going to be a musician. And I heard him laughing yeah. initially. And he goes, send me your demo. So I sent him my demo that I had done. He shared an office with Marcus Russell, the Oasis manager. The next week, Marcus Russell came to Eamon Dorrance to watch his play, was about to sign us. And then his label, I think, fell through and he got distracted. And it was that fast. And then a few months later, we were at Universal. So it was, yeah. it was like that. And all of a sudden, I was like, I should have been doing this all along. But yeah, it just shows you life is a very strange way of showing their hand sometimes. And I think with the Blizzards, you know, we ended up you know, we, we had a great time. We ended up supporting Oasis and Slane Castle. We played with ACDC. They just got announced this year. Worst day of my life supporting ACDC because we were getting death threats that week. They were like, why are these lads? <laughs> these kind of power pop band from yeah, Mullingar yeah. supporting ACDC. We're the end of We threw the sky in. But I said before we did the show, before we walked out on stage in Punchestown, I said, lads, no gaps between songs. So we're like, why is this? Can't boo us. <laughs> I was terrified. But they didn't boo us once. Uh, and, be, and yeah, no, those types of things, those stories are—they're they're what made me. And what was the best moment in the, in those years? What was the biggest pinch me? Oasis, I think, yeah. in Slane Castle. Yeah, yeah. walking on Slane Castle and just playing that was just like nothing. It's a, like I'd been there. I've watched shows, you too, and I've watched other shows, and it's just an iconic venue. And walking in and like. You know, Mount Charles in his caddy car, picking up my mother at the top of the, like, she, my mother ringing me going, I can't get in. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, Mount Charles is on his way up for you. <laughs> like, it was just madness, really. Okay, your next choice uh, is Grapefruit Moon by Tom Waits. And this brings us on, I suppose, to the next phase of life in a way. So you're in London, uh, early noughties. Where, where were you at in your life at that stage? I was kind of late 20, early early 30s now at this point so okay. it was 2010 okay uh, yeah. okay or so uh, what do we call them early teens I could just yeah, like yeah, yeah later 2010 anyway yeah what was going on for you then uh, I, I had a really great opportunity when the band kind of left I, I got offered a, a job as a songwriter with a company called 19 Entertainment who looked after the Spice Girls and you know David and Victoria Beckham you know it's an incredible experience and got to London and a lot of Irish people had moved because it was it was kind of just after the recession and during the recession and people didn't know whether they were coming or going. And London was this beautiful capital city, but it was too much for me. I, it moved too fast. It was too big. It was too intense. And I wasn't doing great leading up to it. And then I started to develop something I'd never really experienced badly before, but I got really chronic insomnia living in London for whatever reason. But it was very debilitating and I was taking everything and putting everything into me, trying to figure it out and 
couldn't sleep and slowly felt like I was losing my mind in the midst of it all for anyone who's experienced insomnia. It's, uh, it is fairly terrifying, to be honest. But I couldn't ring home and tell them I was falling apart because you had to prove to them I'm moving to London mm-hmm. and I made the right decision and I'm not ringing my mother and father to say I'm, I'm not doing well. And I think a lot of Irish people did that over the years, but I didn't want to come home and I should have. But yeah, London was a beautiful city, a huge opportunity, but unfortunately... Because of that, I, I started losing my job and my work, and then I couldn't afford to live in a city like London when I couldn't write music. It just, you know, everything became very overwhelming in this beautiful place. And so we'll come back to how Tom Waits fits into it. But can I ask you about the songwriting thing then? Do you go into a room with other people? Is it like you show up for a day at the office kind of thing and people throw around stuff? Well, that's what actually was bad as well I was like I didn't like how it worked it got very assembly line it was like you yeah. walk into a room I remember the, one of the first people I worked with was like it was one of those big shows um, and she came in and she was to write a song for like somebody from, from one, one yeah. Like, yeah she had one I don't think she won it but uh, and she was yeah. just on her phone and I was like do you want to you're not going to write the song she goes well you write the song for me I was like you're an artist like, like how is it this and then it became very much painting by numbers and that is the that is how it works. It's a painting by numbers approach. How do we get songs onto playlists? How do we get Spotify playlists? We write this type of song. And I, it lost its soul for me then. I'm a garage band writer. I sit with a guitar with a band and it's not the same thing as going in a room. And also, I wasn't very good at it, if I'm honest, because I, I just didn't enjoy it. Uh, so yeah, it was. It, it, to say songwriting for me is it's quite a, a lonely thing. I enjoy it on my own. Yeah. Yeah. And come in and bring it to the band and then Deck or Drummer like, that's terrible. I'm like, Grand, I'll go back. But that's what I loved about Sonny. I can it. see them in the factory thinking, this guy's, he's not very happy, is he? No, <laughs> he's a guy I told him, get five hooks per 30 <laughs> seconds. But he, now he seems to, yeah. He's going on okay. about Nirvana. <laughs> um, so then, uh, so this album, The Grapefruit Moon by Tom Waits, is from the album Closing Time. Mm. I think I didn't. I think it was Victoria Clark said about Shane. I think that music was the, Shane always knew that music was the best way you could change your mood mm. instantly mm. by putting on the right music, and that's what I think this album did help you actually change your mood. Like actually, music that makes a difference to you. This album, I I I can't say this specifically about songs, but it's definitely the most important and my favorite album of all time, Closing Time, for an abundance of reasons and. What I used to do when I was really struggling with the insomnia, I would I would lie in bed and I would keep thinking more and more and I would try to get sleep and I'd get overwhelmed. So what I, I would do is I started putting on this album and I would literally pretend I was sitting in some crap bar in New York and there was a guy having a fag and a whiskey sitting on a piano behind me playing the songs. And I would put myself in a bar stool. I would be that vivid with my like, kind of visualisation of it. And I'd close my eyes and I'd listen to the music. And... Initially, I wasn't sleeping, but I'd feel calmer because I was getting out of my headspace and into somewhere else. And then I fell asleep. Like, and, and that sounds like a ridiculous thing to say, but when you, you weren't sleeping... Oh, I, God, I, I can imagine, It yeah. is harrowing feeling. And I remember waking up the next morning, <laughs> and the only reason I woke up is because I thought I left the light on, but it was bright outside. And, and that felt immensely important to me. And it was the reason I picked Grapefruit Moon is because I can remember the start of this song, and there's a little string section in the middle eight, and it goes to the middle eight, and I kind of remember, but I don't, that's it, I fell asleep at that point. And people say, the, the album's so boring, it put you asleep. It didn't. The album made me feel comfortable. It made me feel less anxious. 
and it kind of comforted me to to be able to fall asleep and then for months after that I put on that album every single night the same thing happened I'd always fall asleep and so much so I got Tom Waits closing time tattooed in my arm and I told my mother and she goes I said if I ever meet him I'm going to show him that tattoo and she goes no I wouldn't do that now it'd be a bit Alan (laughs) (laughs) and then she said I showed it to the blizzards and they thought it was Mick Hucknall from Simply Red (laughs) jeez lads but yeah it was an album anyone who hasn't listened to that album I think it's it's one of the most beautiful pieces of work and songwriting at its highest form uh, one of the best artists of all time and Tom Waits is you know if I ever do meet him I will tell him that I'll tell him that he I can't say it saved my life but it certainly helped me yeah okay so Brazy's fourth choice this is Tom Waits this is Grapefruit Moon So that's Grapefruit Moon by Tom Waits and that that was a kind of a miracle for, for Niall Breslin and it was his fourth choice. How did that phase end then? What kicked you into your next phase of life after that period in London? Came home. Yeah. And I actually came home when, when I got the job in The Voice and I remember they were like, at the time I had no money to fly home I was because I wasn't working and somehow RT were like we want you to be a coach in this new TV show called The Voice and as I was as depressed as I was I wasn't doing the Hollyhead route <laughs> have you ever done the Hollyhead route I was like I'd rather just stay in London because uh, I, I didn't want to do it but yeah that was then into The Voice when I got to come home a bit more which was definitely comforting because and then that ultimately made me realise I miss Ireland too much and I want to move back here and live here and that was The Voice yeah okay Everything's phases. People should always remember that, shouldn't they? Absolutely. When you're at the bottom, phase usually 100%. ends and a new one kicks off. Okay, final choice is Mandinka by Sinead O'Connor. Mm. Why is Sinead important to you? Sinead, actually, the last time I spoke to you, it was after Sinead passed away and, and there was so much discourse around it and commentary and a lot of me was thinking, right, you know, I think Ireland's progressing when it comes to mental health and I said this to you, I think I think we are when we talk about anxiety and stress but when it comes into the more difficult complex stuff I don't think we're ready for it and I don't think I think we still stigmatize it and a lot of the discourse around Sinead when she passed away was that and what Sinead has always been for me is a voice that we'll never hear again I interviewed Noreen Noreen on the podcast last week who would have been a huge influence. Chanel singer. Chanel massively influenced Sinead. And I just thought, it's just, I said, will we ever hear anything even close to what she was? She goes, absolutely never. And even technically, she was a punk singer. She was a Chanel singer. She was as soft as you could get. She would tear your head off with a vocal after. And I just started to think, I want to remember by that. And that, you know, that's what I want to think about when I think of Sinead. And this particular song, (laughs) Back to the Voice, 
I, yeah. I uh, there was the battles in the voice, which when you got two singers to sing against each other, and I had these two brilliant female vocalists, like world class technical singers, and I put them against each other, and I said, "We're going to sing Sinead O'Connor Mandinka," and they looked at me and went, "What are you doing to us?" And as they performed it, I thought to myself, what did I do to myself? There's nobody can sing this. Yeah. Even the most technically gifted vocalists were completely lost, couldn't deliver it. And it made me realize what, what a singer. And she's a punk. And also I go back to the guitar riff. The guitar riff from Meninka is instant. It's as good as any riff you'll hear. Yeah, yeah. Marco Peroni, I think, isn't mm-hmm. it? Wasn't yeah. He was our guitarist at yeah. that point. So from, brilliant guitarist. From Adam and the Ants, yeah, mm-hmm. o- yeah. O- originally. Um, Okay, we'll finish up with that. Before we do, um, what are you, what, where are you at with music? It's, it's, so the Blizzard, last Blizzard album was year before last, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, we're kind, of, we're kind of taking a little bit of a break. I'm focusing on the PhD at the moment. It's a lot of work. It's taking a lot of my headspace. So I kind of, I want to get that right. Uh, and anyone who's done one, it is intense. So I don't really have the time to be to be touring really at the moment, apart from the podcast. There's the live Where's My Mind stuff. That That's really where I'm focusing my okay, work. Okay, so you have a tour coming up? Yeah, this April I'm across the country, um, all over the place. You can check it out, nilbreson.com, the Opera House in Cork and Wexford Opera House and then all over the place. But yeah, I I, I love the live podcast. That is definitely, because I get to what play What happens? You see, a lot of it's music. I get a lot, okay. uh, everything I talked about here, I tell the story through music and piano and spoken word and monologues and guests. So I take that weird life that I, I feel I've had and that mad mind that I have and I kind of, it's quite irreverent and humorous look at it. But a lot of music and a lot of piano, which is my first instrument. So okay, uh, yeah, okay, all right. So it's not two blokes talking. No, it's yeah, not. It right, can't. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah. It's it's a show. It's definitely a show, and it's a lot of music. But yeah, a lot of what we talked about here is kind of built into it, and I think people enjoy it. Super. Okay, listen, it's always great to talk to you. We'll finish up with Sinead. So, Brezzy, thank you very much. Pleasure. <laughs>